0: Well, here we go then. Episode 6, Series 5 of the High Performance Podcast 2021 is flying by. And so are the episodes, but this is a really special one. So stay exactly where you are. If you're new to the High Performance Podcast, welcome along. Um, Basically, these are conversations with entrepreneurs, with artists, with business people, with sports people, with leaders right across the world, finding out about the things they do, the lessons they've learned, the mistakes they've made so that you can apply them to your life and you can genuinely live a more high-performance life thanks to the things you're about to hear over the next hour or so. A quick reminder that you can find us on Instagram, at High Performance, Professor Damien Hughes is at Liquid Thinker. As well as that, you can also subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can watch the interviews, as well as hear from them. Just go to YouTube, type in High Performance Podcast, and you can subscribe right there. Okay, let's get on with it then. It's time for a really special and hugely interesting episode of the High Performance Podcast. Here's what you can expect.
1: I think the universe is meaningless without life without conscious life, to be able to think about this and self-reflect. It makes the universe meaningless, frankly. So when you think of it in that way, it makes us incredibly special. Now, we may not be the only conscious life forms in the universe, but we are, at the moment, the only ones we know of. And I think that's very important. It makes us you know, very special indeed.
2: Joining us today is the
0: author of the book, Limitless, and this guest knows all about the power of not having limits. He wasn't limited by his poor A-level results. 18 years in the British Armed Forces where he flew helicopters on active service was also not his limit. He became the first official British astronaut to walk in space, But not even that was the end he now sees the limitless potential that comes from inspiring young people in science and engineering and it's a real pleasure to welcome to the high performance podcast tim peak tim thanks for being with us ah thank you it's great to be joining you so from your perspective what is high
1: performance i think high performance is really the ability to achieve your full potential Uh, I think everybody has a wealth of talent and ability and uh, the high performance element is trying to identify what it is that you're good at, um, what is it that motivates you, what's your drive, what's your passion and then how do you nurture that ability, how do you manage to take your skill set and be as good as you can be.
0: So that takes a fair amount of self-analysis, how do you suggest people start by working out what they're good at?
1: Yeah, it's a journey. It's not something that happens instantaneously. And I think it's uh, something that you continue to develop throughout your life. And, and it may change from time to time as well. So it does take a lot of self-awareness and self-analysis. Um I was quite fortunate when I was younger that flying became a real passion and a real motivation for me to want to become a pilot. And that drove me to have to study certain subjects and to have to go down a certain um, career path, which I was then able to follow. Not everybody gets a really clear indication of what it is that they want to do early on in life. But I think that the way you uh, identify what it is you're good at is giving yourself the, the greatest opportunity. Uh, of having a diverse different uh, number of activities to get involved in and you'll st- start to identify what you enjoy where you excel and those areas you struggle at uh, and then putting it all together in a package that identifies who you are and who you want to be
0: it's good advice that because we have a lot of people that say I- i've got energy i've got drive i've got ambition i've got determination but i don't know where to channel it to so what you're saying is for most people it's a case of opening more doors than you're closing and and then that will increase your, your opportunities really.
1: I think so. Yeah, that's right. Don't, don't close any doors. Don't narrow the field, keep an open mind uh, and try different things. Uh, you know, go out of your comfort zone. That's how you build resilience. And, and it, it, you know, you're never going to fail if you try something uh, and you don't succeed. It, it's a, it's a positive experience because you have found out something more about yourself. There's
3: a great saying, Tim, that life often only makes sense when we look at it backwards. So, In your case, I'm conscious that you spoke about being a relatively ordinary student. What sort of seeds for what you subsequently went on to do were evident when you were a child? And the second part of that question is, what advice would you give to parents or adults around young children? To nurture those seeds once they spot them.
1: I think yeah, there's, it's a really that's an interesting saying, isn't it? <laughs> Looking backwards through your life, and and I think that's interesting because you then identify your journey and how you became who you are and where you got to. And for me, uh, I mean, I've always been involved in adventure and exploration. That's always been a passion of mine: the great outdoors and testing boundaries and pushing the limit. And then when I look back, it's it's perhaps no surprise that I ended up as a test pilot, um, which then led on to becoming an astronaut, and now I can see myself back as a 13 14 year old you know getting into a glider for the first time and thinking it wasn't just about the flying experience i was so curious right back then it's how did this thing fly how can i make it better how can i stay up in the air longer how can i improve the the, the, the landing and then going around to look at the aircraft and thinking about the performance why are the wings so wide you know how does it fly like it does um, so looking back i can see that i've had that that curiosity all my life um, and i think in terms of what parents can do to help their children it it is to give them as much opportunity as possible Um, that's the greatest thing I think a parent can do for their children and also not to worry so much about where the journey might lead I mean I left school with a C D and an E in A levels Um, now you could say that my my parents would be thinking he hasn't fulfilled his potential and he hasn't quite done as as well as we'd hoped he, he would do but I never stopped studying from the moment I left school. That was when the textbooks opened. That's when physics and maths suddenly became really important to me. And I had a framework for it. I had a reason to study it and I was able to apply it to what I was doing. I, I didn't get my degree until I was 33. So I've studied all my life, but it's not to worry so much about the journey. Uh, I think that as parents, we, we do naturally worry about our children and we want the best for them. But they will always find their way in life, and and our job is to to help them do that, but to not to push them down roads that um, we shouldn't be pushing them down.
0: On a previous series, we interviewed the Indian businessman in Dilbag Gill, who runs a, a Formula E team, and he said to us that he thinks the education system has got everything back to front. He said instead of teaching children an answer, we should teach them to ask a question and find the answer themselves. And it sounds to me like really. Your story has been one of looking for answers, asking yourself questions, asking questions of the world. Absolutely.
1: And I, I still do. Uh, and, you know, come back to that initial thing, uh, question about high performance. I still think I've got so many different things I want to do in life. Um, I don't think I've fulfilled my potential. I think it's changing. And, and I think as a, as a good way of looking at education, it's about asking the questions and, and, and thinking about what is it that we can go on and do and why do we do it? And especially when you look now about the, the, the skills gap that we have uh, between what uh, qualifications people are coming out of school and, and college and university with versus what the uh, career sector requires. I think that's something we really need to look at as well, and 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 say, are we preparing, you know, uh, our students uh, to the best that we can to set them up for the career place of the future? And it's changing so fast. I mean, the pace of technology is phenomenal. Um, so how do we equip? Young people with the skills they need to go into that workplace and excel.
3: So beyond the curiosity that you described about having that willingness to explore when you got in that glider for the first time, what other characteristics would you advise us to nurture in both ourselves and in others then, Tim, that do equip us to go on and achieve high performance in whatever domain that we're operating. Well, I think
1: uh, you know you're always going to be really uh, good at what you enjoy. So there, there is that that process of finding out what it is that is your unique skill set, and everybody's skill set is unique because you know it, it, we're made up of, of so many different components that will give us our our, our, our unique place. Um, but I think you've got that uh, that difference between what is it that I need to learn and improve that's the kind of hard skills, if you need if you like, and then the soft skills of of how can I. Bring my talent and my abilities into the workplace, communicating with people, becoming a leader, um, be better at decision making, uh, managing risk, um, and, and there are all these qualities that that we have as an individual. And I think it's it's being able to uh, develop both of those. Um, you won't get all of those just by studying textbooks and reading. You know, you have to get out. You have to um, experience things as a young person. That that you know give you the ability to develop those interpersonal skills those social skills that are so important as well so um it's a mixture of academics and social skills
3: so having come through sandhurst the where you originally trained and then all the way through to when you're living for six months in a space station with an international cast of colleagues what would you attribute was the best culture that you had? How much of it would you attribute to those soft skills, the ability to get on and your interpersonal connections? And how much of it was about your technical knowledge and almost the practical skills that you had? It's difficult to break it down exactly, but to give you a flavour of what the space agency was looking
1: for, for example, on the astronaut selection. They spent one day analyzing what they would have called our hard skills. That was a very intense, stressful day in front of computers, running tests in some of the basics of our maths, our engineering, um, our spatial awareness, our concentration, our memory retention, those kind of skills. um, Many of which are called kind of non-trainable skills, although I think I do think that you can improve on even those. But that was one day. The remainder of the year of the selection test was all about the soft skills. It was about psychological profiling, it was about communicating, working in teams, um, your level of judgment, your decision making, your um, appetite for risk. Um, And that gives you a flavour of how important it is for the space agencies, that you're somebody who can go to space for six months or longer um, into low Earth orbit, onto the Moon, onto Mars, and be someone who can operate effectively in those circumstances.
0: I'm just chuckling slightly, Tim, because when you talk about the selection process to become an astronaut and you say only on one day, they talk to us about the soft skills. I was expecting you to say, and on the other day, we discussed the other bits. And then you said, (laughs) for the rest of the year. Um, I'm so interested to talk to you about how you get yourself into a mindset where you go through a year long journey up against, I think it was about 8000 other applicants to get one of six places on the astronaut training program. Could you take us through that journey because for people that go to a job interview that lasts 15 minutes this is fascinating insight.
1: <laughs> yes and I think you know it's interesting because when I first applied to the astronaut job I didn't think I was going to get it, I, um, I'd be surprised if anyone realistically thinks they're going to get it. That's not to say that you're not going to give it 110%, you know, you're going to give it absolutely everything you've got, um, and you might desperately want to to become an astronaut, or you might want the job, but when the odds are eight and a half thousand uh, and you're one of those, um, then clearly, you know, you, you've got to appreciate that the chances of you actually succeeding are slim. Um, but can, the whole can I butt pro- in
0: and ask you whether that's a useful mindset to have at the beginning? Did you allow yourself to think that, or was it healthier for you to say, "Right, listen, the six places, one of them's going to be mine"?
1: I think it was useful to have at the beginning, but my mindset changed. I think as the as the the odds narrow and you start to become one of forty, and, and then one of twenty, and then you're down to the final ten. Um, you know, you, you you really then start thinking, "Okay, I do now have." a good chance of of this. And, And then I think the stakes become high. You've invested so much in it. It's a massive decision. It's a massive implications for you. So I think your mindset changes, but I think it helped in the early stages to relax, to be yourself, to do the best, um, to just go in there and, and think, I'm going to give it the best shot and I'm going to take this as a positive experience. Um, there's a good chance that I'm going to fail, but I really don't mind because actually the process of being involved in this selection, I'm going to learn a lot from it. I'm going to meet like-minded people. Um, I'm going to see something I wouldn't have otherwise seen and experienced. So you go in with that that mindset and I think that's, that's useful. Um, actually, the stress increases further down the selection process as your mindset changes and you realise that you've got a better chance of becoming an astronaut.
0: So we have a phrase on this podcast called never sit in the comfy chair. I would really like some specifics from you of the day that the chair was the least comfy during that year-long selection process. I think for me it was probably at the interview
1: rounds. So that's when we're down to the final 22 um, and then we have other interviews at the final 10. And that's when things start getting less comfortable because you're you're really put on the spot. There's no hiding place. So from a a point of view of it being a rather intimidating experience, you've got a whole panel of experts in front of you and you're obviously being grilled. But also, as I mentioned, the stakes are higher and that increases your your discomfort as well.
4: What
0: do they ask you?
1: Well, they're there to see how you're going to perform as an ambassador for space. They do want to know uh, the level of knowledge you've got, your passion and your commitment. They want to know that you're the real deal. You're genuine. You're not somebody who's just thinks, hey, this is, you know, of course, everyone wants to be an astronaut. Um, I, I just want to give it a go and, and, and see how I get on. They want to know that you're completely committed to the idea of, of what it is you're going to to do, because you have to be committed. It's going to be a lot of stress on you. It's going to be a lot of stress on your family. Um, and they, they want to find out, you know, if you've got what it takes as an individual, but also how you'll come across in public as an ambassador for space.
0: Would you mind just sharing with us very quickly? Because I think this is so interesting for people listening to this that are searching for their thing. How do you convince someone of your genuine credibility to do something what worked for you
1: i think it's up to them to to find that out about you so they'll be asking you the searching questions and, and i think your natural response natural answer Will give an indication of of firstly the level of knowledge you have and clearly if your level of knowledge is pretty shallow then you haven't had the passion to dig very deeply into the subject matter Um, perhaps you should go and look elsewhere Um, so they're instantly going to get that from from how you feel about it and I I think uh, your answers as well I, I think if you're talking to anybody you can see when people light up. You, when you find it is, when you find the right buttons to push, um, you can see when people just light up and 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 want to talk about a subject they're passionate about. A subject. I remember, you know, hearing about Neil Armstrong and how he was sometimes a difficult character to talk to. He was quite a closed book, uh, a military test pilot mentality, and he spent a lot of time thinking. Um, And a lot of people said, oh, you won't get much out of him. But, you know, the other people would say, no, 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 absolutely not. You know, get him talking about what he wants to do. Get him talking about engineering, about design, about test, and he will just lighten up the whole room. That's when you know somebody is absolutely the genuine thing.
3: I think you have so many valuable lessons to share with us as well, Tim, as well as sharing some of those insights about that recruitment is that, Once you got through that selection, there was still the uncertainty of whether you would ever actually go into space. The phrase that you'll be familiar with from the world of the military of, we live in a VUCA world that's volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. I think you've got so many lessons that you can teach us about how we cope in this VUCA world that many of us have, maybe not on the same scale that you had about going into space. So how did you keep your head, keep your motivation, keep your focus when You didn't know whether you would ever actually get through this process and then still get to go to space.
1: Absolutely. And I think it's about, you know, dealing with uncertainty. There's uncertainty and there's risk. And I guess you could say that they're quite similar. But I tend to break it down as, as uncertainty are genuinely the things that you have. Uh, You don't even know they're coming. You have no control over. Whereas risk are perhaps things that you can quantify um, uh, when you absolutely know you're taking a risk. You can sit down, you can analyze it, you can put a probability against it and then make an informed decision as whether you're willing to take that risk or not. But in terms of the uncertainty of life, um, I think you can try and protect yourself against that by just thinking about the various outcomes, What would be a positive outcome for you? What would be a negative outcome for you? And I remember going to, uh, speaking to my wife saying, look, there's no guarantee of a trip to space. I could be giving up my career as a test pilot. I could spend 10 years with the space agency and never fly. How do I reconcile myself with that? And how do I continue to see this as a positive experience? And the answer to that was to embrace every opportunity that came my way, to look at the training that I was about to receive as as incredibly valuable, um, and to be, be able to build on that. So in ten years' time, if I was in the situation where I hadn't flown, I would actually still have additional skill sets to be able to go on and use in other industries in in to further my career, whether in the space agency or elsewhere. So it's a case of looking at those uh, possible outcomes and just making sure that they're always. A positive ways out of a situation.
0: If it was all about going to space and space never happened, then the whole thing becomes a waste of time. And I think there's probably a key lesson for lots of our listeners there.
1: Absolutely. I think perhaps some of my peers would have given a different answer to that, because if you're so invested in becoming an astronaut, if you're so invested in going to space, there's a bitter disappointment of not making it. And, And I'm not saying that there wouldn't have been a huge disappointment in my case, but right from the outset... I was also thinking that there would be positives and I would be able to see a path through that would be, for me, a positive path. And I'd be
3: able to build on that and still go on and still do something with my life. So what would you say then, Tim, is the greatest lesson that you learned on that journey to become an astronaut that you brought back to Earth and you still apply to this day?
1: I think the most valuable lesson is, is maintaining perspective. And that's something that that really changes in you when you go into space, you have the opportunity to look back on planet Earth and, um, you know, you're isolated for six months, uh, getting away from it all. <laughs> and, and, and that changes your perspective. It changes your perspective on, on you know, who we are and, and how we operate um uh, and, and just the, our, our location in the solar system you can see mars venus jupiter saturn and uh, and, it, and it puts everything literally into perspective and it gives you a fresh appreciation of what's um, life in the universe is all about it gives you time to think about that i think it makes you a much calmer person um, and uh, it, it enables you to take things in your stride i mean i've always been fairly calm and and, and dealt with uncertainty and and emergencies for example uh, quite well But having come back from space, I think that it's taken it to a different level. So overall, I think it's just that uh, maintaining perspective on the problems that we face today uh, and being able to cope with them and being able to deal with
3: them. That's a fascinating answer because when I was reading about your biography, what intrigued me was the amount of people that have been into space, whether that's Charlie Duke that came back with a renewed sense of Christian faith or Jim Irwin that came back to become a preacher. And each of them had spoke about... That change in perspective of seeing the world from space had sort of altered their way of thinking. So, did you have a similar moment like that of realization? Yeah, it, it definitely.
1: And, and um, for me, it wasn't a, a, a spiritual or a religious feeling. Um, although I know that, as you mentioned, there uh, some astronauts have. Um, they've even quantified this as, as calling it the overview effect, this cognitive shift in awareness, uh, of, of going, you know, into space and seeing the planet. Um, and I, I, and I did, and I think every astronaut does have that shift in perspective. But certainly out on the spacewalk, there was this this moment when I was just looking back down and we had a few minutes with nothing to do but just to wait for the sun to go down before we fixed the solar panels. And Tim Coper and myself were there left to take some photographs and float at the very edge of the space station. And you're looking off into the universe in one direction, off to this sort of black infinity, um, and then looking the other direction down at, at planet Earth. And it just makes you think, um, um, on the one hand, it's, you know, we're tiny and we're insignificant. Um, You know, here we are, just this speck of of light uh, in the universe as planet Earth. But on the other hand, you think, well, hang on a second, we are the universe. I'm floating here in the universe, but the universe created me literally from stardust. All the elements that we know of created in, in neutron star collisions and in supernova. And they've all formed over billions of years. These atoms have all formed into a conscious being that can self-reflect, that can ask questions about itself, about how did I get here into space, floating here? Um, But I'm the universe has put me in space. I am the universe. And so you think, uh, you know, I I think um, the universe is meaningless without life, without conscious life, to be able to think about this and self-reflect. It makes the universe meaningless, frankly. So when you think of it in that way, it makes us incredibly special. Now, we may not be the only conscious life forms in the universe but we are at the moment the only ones we know of and i think that's very important it makes us you know very special indeed
0: what a lovely answer one thing that these conscious beings also need is trust and trust in those around them so before i ask this question just a few quick technical questions if i may when you did your spacewalk how far above the earth were you
1: i was 400 kilometers above the earth
0: and what was connecting you to the international space station at that moment well, at times
1: you have just your hands um, when you're moving. Um, so that's when you don't want to, to slip. But we also do have a thin steel tether that's like on a fishing reel. So um, as we move along, it unwinds and that goes back to an anchor point. That's kind of a, a last uh, line of defence. If we do fall off, we'll be able to hopefully you know, pull ourselves back using this tether.
0: How naturally did it come to you to have to put your entire life and really the lives of your family as well, because they would have be they'd be lost without you, to put that trust in the hands of people, to accept that you're going into space, to accept you're going to be tethered to a space station, to know the risks that are involved. Did that, trust in others come easily to you
1: it, it did it, it's a gradual process of course by the time you go actually go out to do a spacewalk, you you don't even think about those things because you it's been so long in training in preparing um, and at that point you have so much trust in the people back in mission control about your crewmates on the inside the space station and, and the person you're going outside the space station with and really as a pair you know your lives completely depend on each other But that's not at the forefront of your mind because you've done this 30 times in the pool back in Houston and and you've worked with these people and it actually feels like just a natural day at the office here I go today's spacewalk day and you're ready for it and you're prepared for it you are of course completely aware of the heightened level of risk when you go outside I think that um, you know most astronauts would say the feeling of danger is palpable when you're there you're in a vacuum there's no quick and easy way of getting back inside the space station Um, you can have a problem with your suit you could be hit by a piece of uh, debris, micrometeorite. Um, We've had a couple of issues with water even coming into the helmet and, and flooding the helmet with astronauts still inside there. So you're aware that you're putting yourself in danger, but you've asked yourself all of the difficult questions many, many months ago. I think, you know, astronauts have a natural affinity to be able to perhaps handle a bit more risk than other people might be willing to take on.
0: And when you are operating with that level of risk, how did you learn to share your thoughts when you weren't happy with a process or a person or a decision?
1: Yeah, it's, it's really important that you're always self-critiquing, you're analysing. And coming from a test pilot background, that's exactly what we do as test pilots. We're constantly analysing the risk, mitigating it uh, and speaking up about it. No, nobody ever um, stays quiet if they think that there's a better way of doing something or if we're taking on too much risk Um, uh, and it's an all informed decision that, that you might be going on a high risk trial but everybody will know exactly what the risks we think we're going to expect are. Ah, so in that environment, we're trained to always speak up and to, to, to have this very honest and open platform. And we always debrief when we come back after a, a flight, when we come back after a spacewalk um, or after a space flight. We spend a lot of time analysing and debriefing and making sure that if there were problems, that they don't happen again in the future. And how did you deal with hierarchy when it came to giving feedback? Hierarchy in uh, the, the space industry is actually interesting because it's, it's very flat. Uh, we're all fully trained, fully qualified astronauts. Yes, there's a commander of the space station, but actually if things run well, the commander doesn't have to do anything different than any of the other crew members. You have a commander of the Soyuz capsule when you fly to and from the space station. But again, you know, if things are going well, really there's no need for the commander to actually uh, assert any any command authority. So it's a very flat hierarchy uh, and we're all empowered to speak up. And you've also got the international element as well, working with Russians, with Canadians, with Japanese, with Europeans and Americans, which is a different atmosphere to when I was in the military, which does have a, a strong hierarchy but then, you know, the military often puts you in situations where you need that sort of pyramid structure and you need that uh, hierarchy in order for really difficult decisions to be executed. In, uh, in the space industry, it was interesting, uh, you know, shifting from that military environment into a much flatter environment.
3: I was going to ask about the cultural differences as well then, because there was the famous example where pilots, I think it was some Korean pilots felt challenging the senior pilot wasn't done within their culture. So the aviation industry had to retrain pilots of how do you give feedback regardless of your own Mm. conditioning or your culture. So, how did you train as astronauts to be able to give that feedback and still appreciate the diversity of nations and cultures that were doing Yeah, this I act? mean, that's
1: a really interesting point. The aviation industry has had some really tough lessons in in learning how to do this better. And, you know, crew resource management, as we call it in the aviation industry, is very, very important. And it goes back to, you know, one of the worst disasters ever um, in Tenerife with the two seven four sevens 747s colliding on the runway. And there was, again, a very strong cockpit gradient, as it would be called, between a very senior KLM captain and a very junior first officer who knew that they didn't really have proper clearance to take off, but didn't feel empowered to actually... Override the Captain, who went to full throttle and and basically uh, caused the collision and since that you know the aviation industry has analyzed um, what it does and why it does it and and, um, and has actually made huge um, strides in improving crew uh, resource management and as astronauts we take the aviation industry as a model as to how to build on we use a lot of the same lessons to improve how we communicate with each other and how we uh, are able to make decisions and, and to ensure that that situation never arises where somebody feels that they can't speak up.
3: So for anyone listening to this then Tim would you share with us how they would be able to give feedback to a colleague or somebody maybe more senior than them where they felt they had an idea or a concept that needed to be heard.
1: Yeah, I think it's imp- important to, to um, think about how you're going to address that situation. That every situation is different, how well you know the person, how much more senior or, or junior, in fact, they might be, and how you can package it into a way that is an acceptable way to raise it, but isn't going to cause you any problems or isn't going to cause uh, unnecessary offence. Um, and so it, it's very hard to give you know specific examples when every single Single situation is going to be different, and they're going to be different factors involved. But I think it's always helps to be able to frame something in a positive way and to be able to bring a solution. So if you raise something, um, you know, you, you're able to give your solution to what you perceive as the problem. So you're not just bringing up a problem, but you're, you're bringing your point of view with it and why you think that that is important to do it differently. Um, so if you can articulate it in a very well-rounded package and show that you're not just representing your point of view, you're actually, you've actually thought of other people's point of views And having analysed that, this is why I think we could do it better, because I think it just makes it uh, less confrontational. It makes it easier for people to appreciate that you you have actually considered a whole range of different topics.
0: Great. Very useful advice one of the things you mentioned earlier tim when when you were going through the program to become an astronaut you said they assess everything my ability to lead my risk taking strategy how i make decisions i'd love to just dive into a few of those if we can first of all what you believe makes a good leader i think a, a good leader starts
1: off their journey as a good listener um because leadership is all about learning first of all nobody gets thrown straight into a leadership position so it's a case of of understanding people it's a case of understanding what their priorities are and how they perform to the best of their ability. And then as a leader, um, you're the one who motivates, who encourages, who gives clear direction, um, who empowers people beneath you and gets the best out of them. I guess it comes back to this uh, high performance, the question you asked me at the very beginning of the podcast. It's about people reaching their full potential. The best leaders will enable the people that they're leading to reach their full potential.
0: Okay, so that's leadership decision making you know you've had to make pretty big decisions under pretty tight circumstances but actually I I think just because you've made a decision in space that could impact your life or the lives of those around you it's no different to the kinds of decisions that our listeners are taking every day so what is your advice for people? Decision
1: making I mean it it falls into different categories in terms of how urgent the decision is Um, and if it's an emergency situation then we rely more on intuition and experience to be able to make a quick decision we need to know the facts quickly we need to consider options quickly analyze those options and then take action Um, and that's broken down sometimes into a matter of just seconds if it's you know dealing with a a fire a depressurization, an engine failure whatever it might be And then there are the more strategic decisions where you might be working as a a company um, with a board of directors and you might spend months before you actually make a decision on a certain topic. Um, Or if it's a personal decision, you might be moving house and you might consider that as a family for, again, a matter of weeks before you make a decision. Uh, And I think the... uh, You know, the most important thing is to to firstly make sure that you're answering the right question and, uh, you know, to put it in the right frame, if you like. So often people will come to you with a yes, no decision. Shall we do this? Yes or no? And actually step back and say well actually I don't like a yes no decision that let's think about what it is we're trying to do um, I want at least four options not just yes no um, so what is it that we're trying to achieve here and then when you've got a number of options you then have to obviously analyze the pros and cons the advantages disadvantages and you can only do that if you're well informed uh, otherwise you've got a poorly informed decision process so information gathering can take a huge amount of time and then assigning kind of a probability matrix as to which which option might be the best as well. So this can go on for a long, long period of time, depending on what it is, the decision you need to do. And then, of course, the the action and and, and, and actually executing the decision. So it really d- depends on you know how long your yeah. decision making process is. But I think one of the first things is to get to, to make sure you're answering the right problem.
0: And the final one of the three was risk taking. I suppose, firstly, do you consider yourself A risk taker and secondly is that valuable thing to be someone that can take risks because i think for a lot of people listening to this podcast they get in touch and say they'd love to do x y or z but it's fear and fear of the risk that is stopping in terms of
1: risk taking it comes down to your personal appetite to risk but also as an organization what your appetite for risk is as well you might work in um, a high risk organization but you're not comfortable taking the risk yourself, but somebody in, in the company is going to take the risk. It doesn't stop you from working in that organization. So, so the, the, it's important that the, the company and the organization has a very clear Um, understanding of the risk and their appetite for risk is not just articulated to everybody, but that management is in a position to um, enforce that and actually support everybody at that level of risk. Uh, And then it comes down to once once everybody understands what level of risk people are prepared to accept and at what stage. I mean, if you look at a company like SpaceX, for example, they're brilliant to analyse because they're very happy to take a large risk uh, in the early stages of research and development, Um, uh, Elon Musk giving his own rockets a 50% chance of success. Well, that's fine if you're in an environment where failure um, is going to give you the learning experience you need to actually succeed. And it actually enables you to discount other options and not spend huge amounts of money pursuing those options Uh, at the early stage. It gives you a clear indication of the direction you need to go in. But then later on, when you've got, you know, crew flying on SpaceX to the space station, of course, you're not prepared to take that level of risk. Um, And so it's all about, you know, what level of risk are you prepared to take at what stage and making sure that that's clearly identified as well. As a test pilot, it's something I've done all my life is, is, you know, analysing the risk I'm taking, mitigating it down to the, the minimum that we can, and then making an informed decision. Am I prepared to take that risk or not?
3: So can I ask you for a case study then, Tim, that brings in the personal element on top of all those factors of risk-taking leadership and decision-making in terms of the conversations that you would have had at home to come to that agreement that you were going to go off to space for six months and you were going to move abroad to Russia and things like that. Can you tell us a little bit about how you and your wife came to those decisions? Because from the outside, some of it might appear selfish or maybe a little bit, egocentric that you were doing it but it obviously wasn't I know you've got two young boys as well if you could just give us an insight into how you got them to buy into it it'd be fascinating yeah and
1: I, I think that's
3: it's really important that you're compatible as a as a
1: family unit and of course uh, when i married rebecca i was a pilot and um and she completely understood where my passions lay and and in fact uh, in the first two years of dating it was rebecca who was going off to kosovo and bosnia on operations and not not me so i was also very familiar with her being put into high risk situations um and so i think as a couple we've always had a similar outlook on life and so we've never had to have difficult decisions about this in fact um, you know she's always pushing me to to grasp these opportunities and and she's been a hugely supporting influence in my life so it's never been a difficult decision in fact it would be a really difficult decision to not do something and to then not not you know sit there and resent the fact that you didn't I mean we when it came to you know shall I accept this this role as, as becoming an astronaut you know the question or that was was how could you possibly not uh, it's such an incredible opportunity um, so I'm very fortunate to, to have the support of my family um, uh, but then obviously since becoming an astronaut two children have come along and, and becoming a father really does change you and, and you realize that you have huge responsibilities and, and that makes the decisions that much harder and yes you know to a degree. Uh, spaceflight is selfish. High-risk activities are selfish. But I think that you know people have to do it, and and you have to be honest about who you are. You have to be honest to yourself, and you have to be honest to your family about who you are, about why you do things. I would never, as a as a, you know, a son, I would never like to think that my father held himself back from doing something, or my mother held herself back from doing something because of me, you know, Um, and I think that's the same way my children would would see the situation as well.
3: You've spoken a little bit about perspectives and how seeing the world from orbit helped you change your perspective. Would you tell us a bit about what becoming a father did then for your perspective yeah
1: it surprised me actually uh, because it changed me a lot more than i thought um it, it just in terms of as every parent will know that you have this love for an individual that you never thought was was possible and and this desire to protect them, to nurture them and to allow them to grow up and experience the things that you have too. And that you know, it gives you a responsibility that you didn't otherwise have. And so when you're making decisions that place your life in danger, it's not just a case of thinking about um, yourself or your adult partner um, who has a different skill set to be able to deal with it. You're now thinking about what about my children and how would they deal with it and how would it impact their lives? Uh, and that changes the dynamics of a decision. It, it, you know, it means that there's more at stake should something go wrong, which makes it a harder decision to make.
3: So did you ever refuse to do anything where you factored the children into it? Or did you ever turn down an opportunity because you started to think about it from the children's I've never
1: refused anything or turned an opportunity down, but that doesn't mean I haven't always uh, considered it incredibly carefully and made sure, like I would anyway, that we're doing things in the most sensible way and the safest possible way but um you know i i still ride a motorbike i still fly aircraft um you know recently i had a chance to fly the (laughs) jetpack i'll take those opportunities i'll give it a go um that's who i am and uh, and i i know my children wouldn't want me to be anybody different
0: and where did it come from this um this comfort with pushing yourself physically and mentally to the limits not sitting in the comfy chair as we spoke about earlier whether that's becoming a test pilot escape and evasion training or the opportunity now to have a go on a jetpack where, where did this mindset come from or was it always there Tim? i think
1: it's always there uh, I, I think that some people will knowingly push themselves out of their comfort zone and i think that, that's, that's great and other people you know naturally have a, a higher um, level of tolerance for doing high-risk activities i've never considered myself an adrenaline junkie I, i've never you know, gone searching for the next you know the parachute jump in the bungee jumping, uh, this constant kind of need to feed some sort of adrenaline buzz. But I am also aware that I'm comfortable in high risk situations, mm. um, I, you know, but I do it, I think from a more methodical point of view, but I, I have a high tolerance for comfort in high risk situations.
0: Relating back to your book Limitless, we use a phrase called infinite purpose. It was given to us by one of our guests on the podcast called Susie Ma, who's an entrepreneur. And she says she wakes up every day and she has an infinite purpose. So a plan for her life that has no end. If I was to ask you what your infinite purpose is now with all the things you've achieved, what would you say?
1: Oh, that's that's a really tough question.
0: Um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, it is. I guess it goes back to to fulfilling potential, and and I think that I don't feel I have yet. I feel I've got a lot more to learn. Hopefully, a lot more to give as well. The interesting thing there is why I'm probably struggling to answer this is because I am such an advocate of enjoying the journey and not worrying too much about the destination. I don't have you know this destination in mind really
0: mm. of well the great thing about infinite purpose is there is never a destination <laughs> it, it's there's always somewhere more you can go and I, I suppose i thought about it in in light of the book because i love the idea of you sharing this to improve the mindsets of young people and that is a that is an an infinite purpose isn't it
1: absolutely and i think that that, that's one of the greatest enjoyments that i've had out this whole experience is this ability to be able to connect with young people and to be able to give something back i was really grateful um, to a lot of teachers that i had when i was younger being in the cadet force at school in the scouts these kind of opportunities where adults had really given up their time and effort to give me the opportunity to experience something and I think it's so important. And if I can now do something to help young people to have the similar you know, uh, opportunities, then then that gives me an enormous amount of pleasure.
3: So as somebody that's been in a handful of people that have done what you've done, Tim, that have been where you've been and seen what you've seen, what's the one message you'd want to pass on to that next generation that you've learned that you would want them to embrace and understand? I
1: think the one message is believe in yourself. It really is. It's an easy thing to say, but you've, you've just got to have the confidence to believe in yourself. And if it's something that you've set your heart on, then then go for it. Don't, don't be put off. Don't let anybody dissuade you. Give it a go, because even if you don't succeed, then you will learn something from it and you will be better at the next thing you do and the next thing you try.
0: Lovely. Right, Tim, our quickfire questions. And the first one is, what are the three... Non-negotiable behaviours that you and the people around you must buy into. Gosh, well, it's it's
1: integrity is the is the first, and I I think that is that probably covers everything actually. (laughs) You can have one; one's all it takes. Yeah, Uh, because if as long as people are being open and honest, then we can have a discussion, and we can come to a decision, and we can we can sort things out. So, yeah, that's got to be the overriding one. I think it's courage as well. You know, uh, if I'm speaking with people, then I want them to, um, you know, to have courage of their convictions, moral courage, physical courage to be able to go and do something. What advice would you give to a teenage Tim just starting out on his journey? It would be to keep all your options open, broaden your mind, experience as much as you can, uh, and as I said before, have self-belief.
0: What is your biggest strength, and what is your greatest weakness?
1: Biggest strength, um, I think it's it's judgment. I think I've always been good at kind of weighing up a situation and making the right call. And uh, so, I think that's that set me in good stead. Greatest weakness
0: is languages. I wish I wish I could speak languages better than I do. Beyond your own book, which is something that we would recommend. What's the one book you'd recommend to our
1: uh, listeners? Too many to choose from. One of the books that stays in my mind is um, Spitfire, a test pilot story by Geoffrey Quill. And it just, it's, for me, it epitomises... Everything about maintaining perspective, staying calm under pressure, good decision making, excelling at what you do, being passionate. Uh, I mean, it's an incredible story. Uh, Jeffrey Quill was the test pilot for Supermarine during the Second World War, took a break to go and fight in the Battle of Britain and then came back to test pilot uh, for training. Uh, it's, It's a remarkable story. Wonderful.
0: And the final one, it's kind of your last message, I suppose, to the people listening to this podcast. We phrase it as your one golden rule for living a high performance life? I think it is
1: just to maintain self-analysis, you know, always think about what you're doing, why you're doing it, and are you doing it to the best of your ability?
0: Wonderful. Tim, I can't thank you enough for this conversation. That has been such an interesting last hour. And what I love about what you've done is that we're all parents. And I think we all say to our children, maybe you don't, Tim, because you're slightly wiser, I suggest to myself and Damien. Like, what do you want to be when you get older? What do you want to do when you grow up? After this conversation, that is going to be reframed in my house and it's going to be keep exploring and I can't wait to see what you end up doing when you're older because I think yours is a story of exploration and it took you all the way to a spacewalk. So um, the power of exploration is, is quite something, right?
1: Absolutely, yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. I think it's great advice.
0: Thanks, Thanks thank a
1: lot,
3: you,
0: Tim. Tim.
1: Apparently. Thanks, Jake. Thanks,
0: Damien. Great talking to you. Damien, Jake, oh, where do we begin with the, uh, the response to the way Tim Peake talks? Do you know what? He's clearly a highly controlled individual, isn't he? And I think that let's not get away from the fact that from a young age, if you have control and if you look at your life in a controlled manner, you can achieve, I think, an amazing amount of things. If you just allow your life to kind of haphazardly float about and you kind of deal with it later i think it's much more difficult to get to where you want to go
3: yeah very much i think there's a technique they use in um, in sort of like military aeroplanes and in aviation they call it the ooda loop and it comes from a guy called john boyd that says at all times you should observe where you are then you should orientate yourself and make sure you're on the right path then you should decide what you're going to do and then take action And what Tim was describing in many ways was, he was observing, he was curious, he was open to new experiences. Then he orientated himself and understood that he loved flying and he loved the discipline of being within a military environment. He decided where he was gonna go and then he took action. And I think that's a really handy tool for anyone listening to this. We're not gonna be astronauts, we're not necessarily gonna join the military even, but constantly to have that self-evaluation of work out where are we, where, like where lights me up, where excites me? Am I making the right decisions? And then am I actually following through on it is really useful. Mm.
0: And also not becoming obsessed with the outcome. You're not, not living a sort of goal centered life. You know, Tim talks about, I mean, that's really the ultimate thing, isn't it? A year long interview process for a job that might never offer him the one thing that he wanted out of it, which was to go to space. So you can only approach life like that if you're not worried about the outcome. If you're only focused on the journey, but actually, I think that that's that's a really liberating mindset for everyone listening to this. Every single person, no matter what facet of life that they're thinking about, if it's just about enjoying what you're doing, not about where it takes you to, you can't go. You can't go. Well, you can't go wrong. I was going to say you can't go far wrong. You can't actually go wrong at all. Absolutely. And
3: and what intrigues me is the amount of our guests that tell us this. You know, Matthew McConaughey was telling us that there is no yet. Johnny Wilkinson is saying that just living the moment. I think so many of our guests are telling us the importance of this, that not getting caught up in the outcome, but focusing on the process and the steps we're taking is just as valuable.
0: Damien and I want to do something just a little bit different at this point on uh, the High Performance Podcast because we've got a message from Clementine who sent us a note to say, I stumbled on your podcast and it was an absolute treat. I've played sport all my life. I still play an umpire today at a decent level now that I'm in my 30s. I'm also a manager in the NHS and I've spent my 10-year career in and I have genuinely and we love this I've genuinely attributed my success in my career to what sport has taught me but always thought this was me thinking out on a limb but this podcast solidifies that your pod has taught me so much and it teaches me more every time I listen there are so so many parallels between the two and I love how much this podcast helps me grow in work and also on the pitch I always listen when I'm on the way home from a difficult shift it gives me the boost and yes, I need that right now. Keep up the amazing work and the guests. You're truly changing people's lives. And it was a lovely message to get and we read it and we felt warm and lovely. But we thought, actually, let's go a step further. Let's invite Clem onto the podcast just to talk a bit more about how she found it, um, what she makes of it and, and how it's helped her. So Clem, thank you so much for being the first ever High Performance listener to come and join us on the pod. Hi.
4: <laughs> no pressure it was a message out of the blue
0: you're joining um some decent guests over the last year or so um let's let's just sort of talk about it then so you you work in the nhs yes you've obviously been and you know on behalf of all of us thank you so much for everything that you and all your colleagues have done over the past 18 months um so how did you first come across the high performance podcast
4: i follow someone called james smith pt um and he'd done a podcast with James Haskell. And then James Haskell did one with Dylan Hartley. And then I stumbled across yours and I was like, oh, I like a bit of Formula One. So we'll give this a listen. And I have about a 45 minute commute. So I often like to listen to something on my way home, kind of totally switch off. And I was really struggling at work. It, it was been like a treadmill for the last year. All the things that keep me in work, playing hockey. Um, sport, everything had been taken away. So work was really difficult. So that just hit me at the right time, really. And I just started to think, oh, yeah, this is making a lot of sense. And it was Steph Houghton's first I saw first. Local girl thought, yeah, like you, let's give you a listen. And then it just rolled from there, really. I've got a few favourites. Tyrone Ming's. Really liked him. And I liked how he talked about he's got lots of other passions apart from football. And I'm kind of the same in nursing. I love my job. I wouldn't be in it otherwise. Um, it's hard work. But lots of the other stuff I do, I think, goes in with it, sport particularly. And I thought that's all right. If Tyrone Mings can do other stuff and play Premier League football, then like I can play hockey and be a nurse. Like That's OK, kind of thing. And it just kind of progressed. And then Kasper Schmeichel, I liked his. And he talked about ego quite a bit. And I'm a bit of a gobshite at work. <laughs> and I thought, do you know what? You need to have ego. And you need to have ego in my job. I work in a and E. I'm a manager of an a- like in an A&E department. You need to be able to make decisions and back up your decisions. And you need to have an element of ego to do that. But it's about finding that balance, really. And I just started to think, do you know, I'm going to take ownership of the fact that sport from a young age has taught me resilience. You know, when you lose your first cup final when you're seven years old and that's a devastating thing, but you're back on the pitch the next week, aren't you? With your mates and your parents and your coach and you're back hitting the team again. You'd learn that resilience on a sports pitch. And I think other things it's kind of taught me situational awareness having foresight, thinking about what might come um, and preparing for those situations that goes hand in hand with working in an A&E department massively, um, being prepared. You've got to always be preempting what might happen and management of a team. And I found that as I've progressed through management kind of thing, having a team and, and you'll learn that on the sports pitch and just kind of moved it over. And then, then I kind of sent my message off to you and I was just happy. And then I had the opportunity for a promotion. So I thought, well, we've got a saying in the Northeast: shy burns getting out. And I just thought, do you know I'm going to talk about this podcast because it really has cemented everything for me in these last few months. And I do do all these extra things and that is what makes me good at my job. So I talked about my non-negotiables on what I would be, consistency, professionalism, honesty, and I kind of had a fourth. Like clinical integrity, I think you have to have integrity in what you're doing. So I've been a nurse a decade. I can't be asking my junior staff nurses to do something that I can't do myself. I think that's really important the higher up the ladder you go and I think you need to be able, particularly in our line of work, you can't sit on your high horse and just dictate, You, you know, you have to be able to clean your bedpans along with everyone else. I think that demonstrates that you've got integrity. So I kind of talked a lot about that and the skills that I've got from a sports perspective, and I got the job. Yeah, So it's down hey, to you. Brilliant. <laughs> I'm so pleased. It's down to you. The High Performance <laughs> Podcast in action, Damien.
3: How, yes. how affirming is no, that? That's fantastic. It's down to you. Well, no, it's not. It's down to I think what we find is that these questions often are common sense to people, but to be able to articulate them and say, this is what I stand for, this is really important to me, they're yours. That, they're your experiences, as you say, that you've just been able to articulate them. So fantastic. And congratulations.
4: Was in, so a bit more stressed.
0: Yeah, but, that's uh, the only downside. But listen, the High Performance Podcast, Clem, is there for you every week to alleviate yeah. that stress. Um, <laughs> yes. Honestly, I can't <laughs> tell you how lovely it is just that, you know, five minutes with you hearing a real world example, because I think what you have to remember is that obviously a lot of what we do now is over Zoom because of lockdown and things. So we're just making this podcast, hoping it impacts people. Certainly when we started, we had no idea whether people would even listen to it. So to have this conversation for the first time actually with someone that has genuinely had their life altered by this podcast, it I can't tell you, it means the world to us, really does. Well,
4: thank you very much. It's made a big difference to my life in the last few months. And I think lots of other people, um, when you're listening to it, the people that you, like I listened to Gareth Southgate last week, he's just like massive, isn't he? But when you're listening, it's just conversation. And I just feel like I'm just sitting in my car driving and the idle kind of thing goes. And it's just people talking about what they're doing in their job and and how they make their lives work. And that's what's so relatable, I think, to, to normal people in normal jobs. So that's down to you guys, I think. Not Putting these people up on a pedestal as such, and they're just able to verbalize what they've got going on and how they make things work and not work. And so, well done. <laughs>
0: Thanks. Thank you. And at, at the risk of sounding like a, uh, a radio on DJ from the 1990s, we're going to send you a high performance mug because oh, we've thank actually you. We are, we've made these <laughs> mugs, high performance podcast mugs, um, and we give them to our guests when they come on the pod. <laughs> and uh, we'll send you one. So, I don't know whether you're a tea or coffee drinker at work, but you can now proudly sport
3: you I will be
4: I will put it on the gram in love my it. uniform. It's got to be
0: Yorkshire tea, and it,
3: Clem? Yorkshire
4: tea, of course. No
0: other tea. It's got to be. That's,
3: it's <laughs> I mean, illegal, it's not illegal not to. illegal and uh, offensive to
4: suggest anything otherwise.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you so much. And, and, you know, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, man, I've got a story not dissimilar to Clem about how listening to the podcast has changed things for me, we would, of course, love to hear from you. Clem just pinged us a message on Instagram and you can do that as well. At High Performance is our Instagram handle. Send us a message. We read them all And um, yeah, we'll speak to someone else next week and get their thoughts. But Clem, you are the first, you are are the groundbreaker.
4: Thank you very much.
0: Damien, Jake, (laughs) I felt like Clem deserved her own high performance wrap up after that. How nice to, like, I know we get loads of messages and, and, and things and they always sort of impact us, but how nice to genuinely see someone, albeit over Zoom, And to know that she's been going to work, saving people's lives, doing a thing for the NHS and bubbling away in the background has been the thing she's learned on this podcast. That's incredible.
3: Yeah, it's really affirming. I think that's one of the things that we set out to do. I know it's a phrase we use uh, numerous times that, that we do this for the outcome and not the income. And to hear people talking about the outcome of how they view some of this stuff taps into our own infinite purpose, which is about helping people take some of these common sense principles and apply them and make them common practice in their own lives. So yeah, I'm, I'm I'm thrilled and really quite humbled to, to have heard off
0: Clem. And I, you know, I speak to a lot of people about growth mindset and I still think when you talk about a growth mindset, um, I don't know whether this is your experience, but people are a bit wary of it because of a lack of understanding. They think it must be this really complex thing to have a growth mindset. But basically what, what Clem just spoke about using, um, Gareth Southgate and Kasper Schmeichel and Tyrone Mings to improve your job as a nurse is basically just having a growth mindset isn't it that's seeing people in a completely different walk of life enhancing yours that's that's all it is
3: yeah definitely and suspending judgments so rather than saying well what can a footballer teach me just opening up listening to them and realising it's not about football it might be about somebody dealing with a challenge and being resilient in the face of an injury like Tyrone described that he had when he first went to Bournemouth or gareth southgate talking about managing people and managing egos and silencing the noise that's relevant for all of us regardless of whether we're in international football or whether we're working in our a and e department at uh, uh, the local hospital
0: mm. and i think that this is a really good episode to talk about that really because tim peak right how many people are going to listen to this and get the get the tools for going into space probably zero people but how many people can listen to this hear what Tools he used to go to space and use them in their own lives. I mean, all the things that he's just spoken about on this episode, I think, are vital and really valuable. The exploration conversation was the one for me. Yep,
3: yeah, but I love the fact that it's not where you're from; it's where you it's where you want to get to. That's key. Like Tim describing that he was an ordinary pupil in so many ways. There was nothing on his report card that indicated he was going to be Britain's first astronaut to do a spacewalk. There was nothing about him as a high flyer. In a school environment, it was going into his cadets and and being outdoors, where he really found his passion. And I think again, that's really important that just because you might not be in a job or a role that lights you up at the moment, doesn't mean that that's what the future is going to hold for you either.
0: You're totally right, and I think um, I think that as long as people come to this podcast with a totally open mind then it will be there for them and it'll always be useful, whatever the episode, whatever the guest. Um, and if you heard that conversation with Clem and you would like, as I said, to share your thoughts as well, you can either send a message to Damien. He's at Liquid Thinker. I am at Jake Humphrey, but probably the best way to reach us is to follow at High Performance on Instagram and then just ping us uh, ping us a message. Tell us what you've made of the pod and the fact you'd like to come on and talk about it and we will do exactly that in a few days time uh, elsewhere Damien we're still carrying on with the book we're getting to the point now you know, something that surprised Damien and I is that our high performance book which is all the things that you can learn from the people that we spoke to and an awful lot more it's it's due out 9th of December Damien people can pre-order it at the moment and we both sort of felt like it's 9th of December feels like a long way away but I guess it'll be here in the blink of an eye
3: yeah it's flying by isn't it but It's been a real privilege because I think doing the book, I know we've both found this, going back over some of the old episodes to revisit some of the lessons that we learnt from Series 1, you know, when we or Series 2 when we chatted with Billy Munger, for example, and how he overcame adversity. It's just a reminder that these lessons are timeless and hopefully uh, that'll be replicated in the book, that these are lessons that you can be applying to your children and hopefully their children's children.
0: And we've created little things in the books called pit stops, um, which I think people are going to get a lot from. Would you just sort of explain for people what a pit stop is?
3: Yeah, so the reason behind we called it a pit stop was that phrase that we've used a few times on, on here, Jake, that the fastest race in the world, Formula One, is won by those that manage to stop most effectively. So we felt that for the book to be something of use it had to allow people to stop and reflect on the lessons more uh, more readily so they're just questions that we pose to people that maybe they reflect on and think actually that I could use that so one of the first ones is you can do anything but you can't do everything so it's about prioritizing on what's most important is just an example of the kind of questions uh, and exercises that we give people a chance to do
0: very good. And in the description for this podcast, you can order the High Performance book right now. You can pre-order it, be one of the first. You can also go to our website, thehighperformancepodcast.com, and you can pre-order the book right there as well. And as soon as it's released on the 9th of December, you will be the first to get a copy. Damien, thank you so much. Thanks, Jake.
3: Loved it, as always.
0: So did I. Uh, Thank you to Damien, of course. Thank you to Clem. Thank you to Will and to Hannah. Thank you to Finn Ryan at Rethink Audio for his hard work. But most of all, thanks to you. And I think that um, that was an amazing episode with Tim Peake. But at the end of it, to hear from Clem is a great reminder for all of us what this podcast is for, why we do it, and the impact we're making. Look forward to speaking to more of you in our high-performance community very soon. Have a great day.